Well, hey there. Welcome to the Strong and Sculpted Podcast. This is your host, Kim Constable, also known as The Sculpted Vegan, about all things strong and, of course, all things sculpted. So today, what are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to talk about something which is a little off-piste, something which isn't really to do with fitness um, or about being strong, but more about where we come from, why we do what we do, and how to be at cause with yourself. Um, I guess the subject today is probably stems from what I might call the objectification of women. So whenever I was planning this podcast, I was, I always write notes um, in Google Drive for the podcast. And I, you know, will think of my stories and the different points that I want to talk about. And whenever I was thinking of a title of this one, I was like, you know, it's kind of the objectification of women, but it's kind of not the objectification of women. But we're going to dive deep today into, um, I guess it was a story that I was a friend I was having a conversation with recently. And she was telling me about how she felt upset because, you know, all the accounts that her husband followed on Instagram were um, of kind of scantily clad women, right? And so whenever he was scrolling through Instagram, that's all that he was looking at was women. And this was really upsetting her. And we had a, a really long and deep conversation. And I, I helped her to see some things that she hadn't previously thought of. And at the end of the conversation, she said to me that it had literally changed her entire perspective. And so I thought, you know what? This is something that I think many women struggle with. I actually uh, see it in my private Facebook groups as well. Sometimes there's discussion around, you know, how how women feel about this and asking, you know, about how other women feel. And I thought, you know, this might be a really, really good discussion to have on the podcast. So that is what we're going to talk about today. But before we get started, um, we have just chosen the winner for July 2020 of the podcast giveaway we do every single month. So if you want to be in with the chance of winning for August, this is now August 2020, then all you have to do is leave a review wherever you listen to this podcast, then screenshot the review and send it to me on Instagram. Every month we flag all the reviews and then we choose the winner, um, someone who has left the best review on, uh, you know, the most heartfelt or best review on whatever platform they're listening on. And we choose the winner to win one of our Sculpted Vegan programs, even the 18-month Sculpt and Shred program. So if you want to leave a review and be in with the chance of winning, do that. Send me a screenshot on Instagram. It is The Sculpted Vegan and you could be in with a chance of winning one of our absolutely splendid programs. Okay, so let's get started with this episode this week. So here is how, um, I guess, this was triggered or how this came around. There's, it's funny how whenever you're thinking about something and then um, it's in your, you know, it's in your mind or whatever, and then you start kind of noticing it everywhere. But I'll tell you what happened, first of all. There's there's an account that I follow on Instagram. I'm not going to tell you her name, but she is a fitness model who I really respect. Um, she actually competes in the figure category. She has competed many times in the Olympia, and she's at the very, very top of her field. She's an IFBB pro at the very top of her field, and she has the most spectacular body. And I have um, been following her on Instagram probably, I would say, over a year. And I started following her, obviously, whenever I um, I saw her photos and I thought, my God, she's got spectacular legs and spectacular glutes and just a really, really good body. And then over the last year or so, I've noticed that her posts are becoming more and more and more sexual. So, you know, there's a lot of nipple on show. There's 
some very risky vagina shots. You know, a lot of her clothes are are see-through, you know, like she's obviously showing off her glutes, but not showing off her glutes. She's like wiggling out of her shorts, you know, wearing only a thong and bending right over in the full, you know, fuck me position. And I'm and, and it's really kind of it's triggered me a bit because I've been like, oh, you know, because obviously I respect her as a fellow fitness professional. I respect her, I respect who she is. And there's a part of me is kind of like, fuck me, like, why are you prostituting yourself in this way? You're kind of, you know, you're, you're doing a disservice to the industry, you know, you're, so obviously I had, I had a rule set in place for how, you know, the kind of things that you should post. Like I post on Instagram and I, obviously I'm posting in my, you know, um, fitness photos and I do, you know, some posing videos and that kind of stuff. And of course the back pose in a bikini is considered, you know, by some who aren't in the industry to be quite sexual. That's when you have your knees ever so slightly bent and you're sticking your, your ass out behind you and arching your back you know, it really is. I remember whenever I first saw that that picture, I was like, oh my God, you know, but it is a, a pit, it is a pose that is in the bikini competitions. And so I'm very, very used to it by now. So some people might see my Instagram account and think it's very sexual, but I certainly do not try to be sexual. It's not something I've ever, um, I've ever tried to be or do because it, you know, it, it brings you unwanted attention. And in fact, my Instagram account has 80% uh, of female following. So only 20% male and 80% female. So that says a lot um, about it. But um, here I am defending my Instagram account. That's not what I That's not what I meant, I guess. I suppose mine could be misinterpreted sometimes by people who aren't in the industry. But certainly I did have a, a judgment on this, um, this fitness model. And Ryan and I were actually lying in bed uh, this morning and I was, you know, scrolling through my Instagram and I went, oh my God, there she is. She's at it again. And I, you know, turned my phone around to show it to Ryan and he knows, he knows her now because I keep talking, but I, I keep following her. This is the problem, right? I keep following her because she does have an amazing body. And sometimes she posts pictures that like show off her body and aren't all, you know, tits and ass. But, you know, recently every single post has become more and more and more about tits and ass. And um, it's a very slippery slope to go down, by the way, if you're growing your Instagram account, because if you post a sexual picture, it gets double the likes and double the engagement. Engagement than a non-sexual picture. So it's a slippery slope to go down because a lot of fitness models will do it. They'll post a sexier one. They'll realize they'll get like, you know, quadruple the engagement. And then they post just a regular fitness one and their engagement like drops and they're like, oh, and then it's it's kind of, it's it's enticing to go back for another sexual one because then, you know, you're going to get more engagement, but it is a slippery slope to go down. So anyway, I showed it to Ryan and, and I was like, oh, here she is. She's at it again. And he immediately went over and, you know, he he wasn't going, oh yeah, there she is. He was like, let me see. And he picks up the phone and he, and he uses his two fingers, you know, to, to zoom in on the screen and he zooms in on, you know, her vagina and her nipples and all. And I'm like, you know, gosh, you're such a man, you know, and he's laughing and he's like, well, you know what I mean? Like, fuck, she's going to post it. I'm going to like, so we were having a laugh about it. And, um, and so, you know, and but whenever I asked Ryan, it was funny because he couldn't see the distinction, right? He was going, well, yeah, I see what you mean. She's a fitness model, but like, she's obviously not, you know, her account is obviously not about being an IFBB pro. Her account is about being very overly sexual, you know? And I was like, yeah, I know, but like, how dare she kind of thing? And and he was like, I don't see what the problem is. Like, she's put it out there. She obviously wants to be seen in this way. You know, there's a thing called OnlyFans, I think, on Instagram, which I found out about recently from my husband, of course. And this is where, you know, they post like um, girls post post on Instagram slightly less sexual pictures or ones that hint or suggest or have, you know, things tape or whatever bits cut off. And then it's like, if you want to see the full picture, want to see my unscreen stuff, you know, subscribe to my channel on OnlyFans. So it's a way they can make money. And then you, men will subscribe. I imagine it's men. It might be women as well, but men will subscribe, uh, you know, and it's basically like porn, right? It's like soft porn, basically, um, or hard porn. I've never seen anything on OnlyFans, so I just don't, I don't know how much they show or spread. But um, anyway, that's, you know, but she, she's not doing that. But at least, you know, there's a lot of other models, fitness models, or sorry, there's a lot of other uh, 
models, I guess, who are very sexual, who have that as part of their Instagram. And that is what they're promoting. But Ryan was going to me like, yes, I know she's an IFBB pro. And that's what she says on her on Instagram account. But like, actually, Kim, this is not an Instagram account. This is a sex account. This is a soft porn account. Like you can't see it as any other way. And so anyway, it got it got me thinking, right? It really got me thinking about the risque accounts on Instagram and my thoughts on them. Because I didn't believe that I had any rules, right? I don't see myself as a judgmental person. And yet here I am judging this fitness model judging all morning. I'm like, oh, I'm not a judgmental person. I'm just so kumbaya. I just let, you know, everybody live and let live. But yet here I am this morning being judgmental. How dare she, <laughs> you know, bring disrepute to the industry. So that's definitely something I need to look at for myself. Why does that even trigger me? But um, it really got me thinking about a conversation, you know, I had recently with a friend of mine, and it also got me thinking, like, why do these sexual accounts exist, right? Why do they exist on Instagram? Now, I'm not asking why does Instagram allow them to exist, because again, that's me going, this shouldn't exist and Instagram should stop it. No, but why do they exist, right? Well, for the same reason that restaurants exist, and for the same reason that online learning exists, because it stimulates the pleasure centers of the brain. The three things that stimulate the pleasure centers of the brain are eating, learning, and sex. Okay? Eating, learning, and sex. That's why eating feels good, learning feels good, and sex feels good, right? And why are these things important? Because they are all important for the evolution of mankind. The forward movement of human beings is dependent on us eating, us reproducing, and us learning from our mistakes in the past so that we don't make them again and die, okay? Or so that we keep moving forward with technology and, and growth and all the rest. But like growth and forward movement of mankind is why we are all here. And that's why those things naturally, three things naturally stimulate the pleasure center of the brain. But why do we get so hung up on sex, right? I know a lot of people have food issues and there's a lot of rules around food and all that kind of stuff because it does cause you know, obesity and a lot of us are fat shamed and punished as kids. But you know, why, why is there so much taboo around sex? Have you ever thought about that? And so what happened recently or the reason why it got me thinking about this is I was having, you know, like I said in the start, I was having a chat with a friend of mine and she was talking about her husband and they are not long married actually. And she was saying about, you know, she said, oh, you know, it, it really annoys me because she said, I try not to be annoyed, but, you know, my husband is always, you know, following these accounts on Instagram where he, you know, the only accounts that he seems to follow are, you know, are sexual girls, right? Are kind of fitness accounts or model accounts of girls in risque, you know, kind of pictures, like not really overly pornographic, but girls who are kind of, you know, sultry looking in at the camera, a little bit too much side boob, a little bit too much bum, a little vagina cleavage, you know, this kind of stuff, right? And so, you know, and, and she was like, but he has so many other interests, like he's into basketball and he loves his cars. I'm like, why does he not follow basketball accounts and, you know, car accounts? And I was like, well, you know, I can't imagine that like staring at an Aston Martin is going to give him as much pleasure as staring at a girl's vagina cleavage, you know, because that's just not how men are built. And she was like, I know, but it really just like, why does he need to look at other women whenever he's married to me? And, you know, and, and I have to say, it kind of surprised me because I had never really thought about it before. Of course, I knew that, you know, this kind of thing did bother other women. But certainly for me, like, it doesn't bother me one single bit. In fact, I would even go so far as to say it actually turns me on. Like, looking at other women, definitely I find other women very attractive. I'm not gay. I'm not even bisexual. But I do um, I do find women very, very attractive. And so, you know, Ryan looking at other women, if he does, gives me zero worry. I don't, there's not one 
single part of me that is bothered by it. And I was actually telling my friend that day, I was like, well, she said, like, does it not bother you? And I said, well, not only does it not bother me, but actually I will, I know what, what Ryan likes to look at. And I will take screenshots of things that I know will cause him pleasure. And I send them to him on WhatsApp. She was like, do you want to say? I was like, yeah. I mean, if it gives him pleasure, I want to give him pleasure, you know? And and I, it doesn't bother me at all. And she was like, oh my God, I wish that I could be, you know, more like you, you know, how did, how, how are you that way? And so I really started thinking about it. And then I thought back to whenever I was in school and I thought, you know, I remember whenever I was in school, there was this, there was a girl in school. Now I bet you we, we all have this story. Okay. There was a girl in school, um, who I was, who was in my year in school and she was absolutely gorgeous, right? She was blonde. She was tall. She was slim. She was gorgeous. But not only that, she was really, really fucking nice. Do you know what I mean? Like genuinely lovely. But not only was she tall and slim and blonde and beautiful and lovely, she was so fucking smart. It wasn't even funny. She she, and she was athletic, right? She was like captain of the um, the hockey team. She was a head prefect, which is kind of like, I don't know what, what that would be in America, like school captain or something. I don't know. So she was head prefect, head girl of the school. She was captain of the first um, hockey team. She was top of the the year academically. She always got the highest marks in every single subject. She was just like absolutely and utterly amazing. And I fucking hated her. <laughs> so anyway, I didn't hate her. That's not true because she was very hard to hate, right? But like it was really, really hard to like her because she wasn't in my clique, right? She wasn't in my in my group of friends. And in school, actually, I was a wee bit of an outsider in school. I wasn't I wasn't really part of any group. You know why there's always groups of friends in school? There's like the it crowd who are all the sporty academic ones, the beautiful people. And then there's kind of the geeky crowd. And then there's the, the musical crowd. And there's the goth crowd. I wasn't really friends with, I was friends with everybody. I wasn't friends with, I wasn't really, I never really fit in, you know, I've never really fit in in life in general, which is why I'm successful, by the way. Um, but I I never really, I didn't fit in with any of the cliques in school. And so I liked her, but I, I kind of, you know, the friends that I did have, you know, we loved to slag her off, right? We loved to be like, oh, look at her, Miss fucking Brainy Box. And oh, look at her. Oh, oh, top of the class again. Oh, she probably stays up all night. She probably has no life. Of course, we knew this wasn't true because she was always out socializing and partying. And she had a boyfriend who was also like head boy. And, you know, and she was just like absolutely perfect. And But I loved to slag her off. Not badly because I wasn't, I was never a mean person, right? I never, I never bullied anyone. I wasn't I ever outwardly mean. But you know, certainly anytime she had, you know, one of her wonderful achievements or she like won another bloody valedictorian cup or she got another honor, you know, for something else, you know, certainly I wasn't like, oh my God, isn't she amazing? What a wonderful achievement. You know, you know, my friends and I would have been like, oh, for fuck's sake, like there she goes again, that's fucking perfect, you know? And so I think that, you know, many of us can relate to this story. There's always somebody in our life, whether it be in work, whether it be in school, whether it be in university, whether it be wherever, there's someone in our life that, you know, we see them like a beautiful girl walks into the room at a party and instantly we go, oh, look at her, her skirt's a wee bit short. You can practically see her knickers. Like we instantly want to put that person down, right? Why do we do this? Why do we want to put the other person down? Have you ever thought about this? Well, it's because for a second, right, whenever you see that person or whenever they come into the room or whatever or whatever happens in in a second it triggers a part of you that feels bad or that feels insecure 
So if you want to be if really, really pretty, or you want to be the center of attention, or you want to have, you know, a beautiful singing voice, or you want to be really athletic, or you're trying your hardest to be this thing, to be top of the class in, in whatever, in school, or maybe it's in work. Maybe you're trying for a promotion and somebody else gets the promotion, right? You don't want to be happy for that person. You want to go fucker, how dare she get that promotion? Because, you know, she, there's nowhere near she's as good as me. She must be sleeping with the boss. You know, we we want to put the person down, okay? The reason why we do it is because that person triggers a part of ourselves that feels insecure. There's a little part of ourself that hasn't, that hasn't been healed, that isn't integrated, and that feels insecure. And whenever we see something in the world which opens up that old wound or triggers that part of ourself that feels insecure, we want to punish or stop the thing that we see in order to stop our pain. So no one can make you feel inferior without your consent, okay? Like if I said to you, no one can make you feel anything without your consent. I say this to my kids all the time. They're like, oh, Johnny called me stupid. And I'm like, well, if Johnny said that you had green hair and pink spots all over your face and purple stripes on your arms and you just came down from um, outer space in a in a spaceship, would you care? And they're like, no. And I'm like, why would you not care? Because it's not true. Well, there you are then. When you know something isn't true and you are you can be like, I know that's not true or whatever, not, no one can say anything to you. The only time someone, if someone says something to you and you feel upset or angry, then that's because someone has triggered a part of yourself that is insecure about that thing, right? And and that's when you then feel that you want to lash out or defend or or whatever, okay? But no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. But other people can trigger the parts of ourselves that feel insecure. But because many of us don't recognize this, because many of us aren't at cause with our emotions, right? Many, many adults in the world are running around and this may be you listening to this. You may be like, oh my God, mind blown, Kim. You may not know that you cause your own emotions, okay? Now, you may know this intellectually. Of course I know I cause my emotions. And then you go into your room and you're like, she made me so mad. Well, no, someone can't make you mad, okay? Because if I could make you mad, I could say, right, you, Karen, on the treadmill right now. And if you're Karen on the treadmill, you're probably like, fuck, is she here? <laughs> so I'd be like, Karen, you, Karen, on the treadmill, be mad. And you'd be like, uh, no, Kim, I don't think that's how it works. Yes, Karen, be mad. Be mad right this second. I command you to be mad. If I could make you mad, I could make you mad anytime I wanted. Okay? I could be like, you over there, Hillary. Hillary doing your homework. Hillary listening to this surreptitiously at work whenever the boss isn't, isn't like watching you. Be mad. Be cross right now. Be upset. Be upset right now. You're like, well, no, I'm not going to be upset just because you told me to be upset. Well, if I could actually make you feel happy, angry, upset, you know, sad, any of those things, then I could do it when I click my fingers at will. But I can't make you feel that way. Only you can feel that way. I can say or do something that triggers a part of yourself that triggers that emotion, but that's your body triggering the emotion based on an experience that you had or didn't have at some point in your childhood when your body was putting together your entire belief structure. So your entire belief structure is built before your cognitive, okay? Women or girls become cognitive at around puberty, usually between the ages of 10 and 13. With boys, it's a little bit later. It's usually around the age of between 12 and 14, okay? It can be earlier, can be later. But that is when um, children become fully cognitive. What does fully cognitive mean? It means that you can 
um, better distinguish why things happen in the world. So someone can come in, say your, you know, your parent can come in and they can be really cross and they can yell at you and your brain can go, oh, well, that, your body goes, that was unpleasant. But your brain can go, well, I know that I didn't actually do anything. I was just here at home cooking in the kitchen and she's obviously had a bad day or maybe she this or, or I know that, you know, grandpa's really sick and she's really stressed looking after him. Your brain can start to look for all the different reasons as to why mom might be upset. Before cognition, your brain goes, oh my God, she's, what did I do? She's angry. Like it just triggers a fear part of yourself. And then you start to go, maybe it's, you know, and you start to link to all this different shit. Maybe it's the, you know, um, the smell of the cooking or, well, you don't even think this isn't even, this isn't even cognitive, right? But your brain before cognition, if, if someone is angry at you, especially a parent, or you you get a, your fight or flight is triggered, your brain starts to link all of the different things around you that could have caused that fear feeling. So if your mom was wearing a purple shirt, your brain could link the color purple. It could link the smell of the spaghetti bolognese she was cooking. It could link the, um, the, the, the coldness of the room. It, it could link all of these, like the look on her face, the widening of her eyes. You could start to link all of these different things. So then whenever you grow up, and you go into um, a room and it's really, really cold, the coldness of that room triggers the fear feeling that came up whenever your mom shouted at you and you just go, oh, I don't, I don't like it in here. I don't know why. You don't know why you don't like it in there. You just know that you need to get out of that room ASAP. Or you may walk into a house or someone may be, may, you may like meet a guy and he offers to cook you spaghetti bolognese and you go, oh my God, I hate spaghetti bolognese. And you're like, you've always hated spaghetti bolognese, but you have no idea why you hate spaghetti bolognese. But you don't know that whenever you were younger, there was spaghetti bolognese cooking whenever your mom yelled at you and triggered your fight or flight and now you hate spaghetti bolognese, right? That's how our entire belief structure is built. Not our entire belief structure, but that's how um, disintegrations happen. That's how they're put together incorrectly, okay? So this is what happens whenever we then grow up and we become adults. And what happens is we're basically adults running around with belief structures built before we reached puberty. How fucking scary is that? Okay, that's why we're literally children running around in adult bodies. Sometimes we put the pieces together correctly. Spaghetti bolognese does not cause fear or it is delicious. Um, and sometimes we put the pieces together, you know, incorrectly, which, you know, causes these different disintegrations that we have whenever we're adults. My husband is scrolling through Instagram, looking at pictures of beautiful women. It triggers a part of me and I feel fear maybe. Fear is always underneath anger. I feel anger, but what is underneath that anger is, what does it mean about me if he's looking at other women? What does it mean about me? Maybe he doesn't love me. Maybe maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe my ass is too fat. Maybe it's true that my, my belly is too wrinkly after having all of these kids. Whatever, whatever fear, well, that's the logic that we place on the fear, but it triggers a fear part of ourselves. Maybe you were fat shamed as a child. Maybe your mother commented on your weight. Maybe you're, you know, she was, um, you know, maybe someone was mean to you in school. Maybe Maybe a teacher, you know, yelled at you whenever you were eating and said that you needed to lose weight. I don't know, something. Maybe you have a, but you have an insecurity inside of you, which has nothing to do with your husband scrolling through Instagram, okay? And everything to do with that insecurity inside of you that he is triggering, okay? So here's how it works, right? I see her or I see him or I see the something. I see the beautiful blonde girl in school. I see my husband scrolling through Instagram. I see someone else getting a promotion over me and I feel pain, okay? It triggers pain in my body. So what do we learn whenever we're kids? This is really bad that we learn this. Sometimes what happens is whenever we're kids, we see something that causes us pain and we lash out, okay? Usually as kids, it's like, and we hit the other person when we're toddlers or we say something mean or whatever. We lash out and for a second, the pain goes away. 
the pain goes away for a second. It's like, I see that blonde bitch walking into the room with her freaking honored blazer and with her valedictorian cup in her hand and she's got another award for something else. And I see her and that causes pain in me. And I go, look at that fucking uppity bitch over there. Like, how, you know, I say it to my friend, how, how, you know, like she probably has no life. You know what I mean? And like, like, look at that big spot she has on her chin. She's had it for days, right? Me putting her down for a second causes me to feel better. The pain goes away. Suffering is a discharge of pain. I learned this in yoga years ago and it literally, all of this learning that I have about being at cause that I'm teaching you now, I, whenever I heard in yoga, I was, it was actually studying for my dissertation and I realized that, and I, I heard that, that taught to me and it said, suffering is a discharge of pain. And I was like, oh my God, it is so true. We feel pain in our body and we suffer and it discharges the pain. So it's the same as whenever we, um, you know, I'm, I'm at, at home with my husband and he's not helping with the kids enough or I feel like I'm constantly with the one washing the dishes or I'm the one doing all of the work in lockdown and then I see my friend and I say to her that you know I'm so cross with Ryan because he this and he that and he whatever I have a good old suffer to her and then I come home and I'm like oh maybe life's not so bad I feel better because I have discharged the pain okay that's what suffering is I see the girl in school I say look at that big spot in her chin instantly I feel better. I have discharged the pain. Okay. And it's the same with, you know, your husband is scrolling through Instagram, looking at, you know, pictures of beautiful girls with, you know, side boob and vagina cleavage and nipples or whatever. And you, it feels bad in your body. So what do you want to do? You want to say, Ryan, why are you looking at those girls? You know how that makes me feel. This blah, 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 blah. Why, why do you, or, or maybe he goes, oh, for God's sake, you know, wind your neck in, which is what Ryan would say to me if I ever said that to him. Wind your neck in, stop being fucking here. Take a couple of hard nut pills, he would say to me. Um, but maybe your husband goes, you know, maybe he defends it and he's like, you know, well, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with it or, or he tries to hide it, whatever. You're like, you're disgusting. Well, now you've moved into shame, right? Now, not, you haven't actually, you haven't responded the way that I... I need you to respond, which is by saying, I'm really sorry, Kim. I won't do that again. So now I'm going to shame you. You're disgusting. You disgust me. Because whenever we were kids, that's that, that was the ultimate form of control that our parents used with us, wasn't it, right? I really want to control you. So if you're just not going to do what I want, now, you, now you're, I'm going to actually bring your personhood into it. And I'm going to shame you so you feel that not only is your behavior bad, but you are bad to your core right? And we remember how that made us feel. It made us feel dirty, disgusted, embarrassed, all of those horrendous emotions. Never shame your kids, guys, okay? Just as a caveat, never, ever, ever make your kids feel bad about who they are as a person. They can do bad things, but never make them feel bad as a person. Separate their actions from their personhood. But we don't do this, right? We go, Ryan, you disgust me. In fact, I tried this with Ryan whenever you... <laughs> and, and then I realized I was doing it right. Because obviously that was how my mother controlled me as a child. She she told me that I, you know, I disgusted her or I disappointed her. Or, you know, those real like, oh, you never want to disappoint your parents. So, of course, Ryan, Ryan loves to fart, right? This is just a little caveat, right? Ryan loves to fart. It's like he he prides himself on his ability to fart really loudly. And the smellier it is, the the funnier he finds it. So I remember whenever we first got together, you know, Ryan one one night let off the 
most revolting fart you have ever smelt in your entire life. You would have needed a gas mask to stay in the room. And I was so utterly revolted. And I and I tried every single type of, of emotion that I could think of to try and get him to stop this behavior, right? Because I really, you know, you never want to smell anyone else's fart, right? Especially whenever it's really, really, really bad. And so I remember one night saying to him, he, I was like, that is really disgusting, Ryan, okay? Now, here's the thing with Ryan. See, the stronger your emotion, the funnier he finds it. So I was going, and I was like, Ryan, that is absolutely fucking disgusting. And he was like, <laughs> like, he was like snorting and stumping and bent double, right, laughing. And I was like, fucker, like, I am literally being as, cro as like, calculatingly cross as I can possibly be here. And he thinks it's really bloody funny. So I was like, so then I thought, right, okay, I'm really gonna have to pull out the big guns here. So I was like, Ryan, you disgust me. You disgust every inch of me. Every fiber of my being is revolted by you right now. Now, do you know what would happen projectively, right? If, if Ryan said that to me, I would want to crawl into my own body and die. The thought of me disgusting every fiber of someone's soul is so horrifying to me that I would never, ever, ever do that behavior again, right? And this is a perfect example of how someone cannot make you feel inferior without your consent. Do you know all that happened when I pulled out the big guns and told Ryan that he disgusted every part of my soul? He actually lost the ability to breathe because he was laughing so hard. It was the ultimate compliment that I could have paid him. The angrier and the more upset I got, the more he felt valid in his ability to create the most disgusting, smelly fart you have ever ever imagined or or come across in your entire life. And I realized in that moment that this brand of control was never going to work with Ryan. Me telling him, he didn't have that trigger. That button wasn't installed in him by his parents, okay? Obviously, his parents never used shame to control him. His parents would have been smackers, right? Ryan would have been hit as a child. I was never hit, okay? Never, ever hit. And so, but his parents, you know, would have been smackers. And so, um, Right. But but my parents were shamers, okay? My mom was a shamer. If you did something that she didn't want you to do or she needed to control your behavior, she would have shamed you. So if anyone ever uses shame on me, I'm like, <gasps> like, oh my God, I feel like my whole being has been called into question. So I pulled out the big guns to shame Ryan in the way that would really affect me. Nope, didn't affect him one iota. Not only did it not affect him, it had the opposite effect. Now, Honestly, the, the best, you know, fifth, like 12 years. It's Ryan's and my 12th anniversary day. We've been married 12 years. We've been together 16 years. Um, our oldest child is uh, nearly 15. Won't talk about that one. <laughs> so we had two children when we got married. But um, now, whenever Ryan farts, right, do you know, literally, do you know what the only thing I can do now, and it takes every single ounce of strength to not react Ryan wants you to react when he farts. And the more, the stronger your reaction, the more validated he feels. So now when Ryan farts, I just lie there and do nothing. I sit there and do nothing. I say nothing. The minute I hear a fart coming out of his tight little bum hole, I just shut my mouth. I shut my nose and I start to breathe through my mouth, right? So I can't smell it. I can't even like pull my t-shirt up over my nose. I can't do anything like that because any sort 
of visible reaction will cause him so much joy. And by fuck, I do not want to give him any joy or encouragement for farting because the stronger your reaction, the more he will try and fart louder, smellier, and more regularly in order to invoke that reaction again because it brings him so much pleasure. So what is the point of this farting story? (laughs) This farting story wasn't even in my notes. It just reminded me whenever I started talking about it, okay? Suffering is just a discharge of pain. We are triggered, okay? And we have buttons installed by us by our parents whenever we are kids, okay? If your parents shamed you, you will use shame to discharge pain with other people. You want to try and make them feel bad so your pain can go away. What I really needed to do was go, why does this smell offend me? Why is someone in, you know, farting such an issue for me? Like why, you know, obviously I was punished punished for it as a child. You know, obviously, you know, maybe you're smelly or you're, you know, you know, whenever you fart and she'll go, oh, you know, your, your mom and dad always make it like, I don't know any parents that don't go, oh, listen to that big fart. Oh, it's such a smelly fart. You know, like we always have this, you know, like this issue over farting. I'm like, why is it such an issue? But definitely it is an issue whenever we're we're kids. But, and so then we grew up, you know, and we don't want to be, oh, we don't want to make the smell because the smell's bad. What if someone else smells it? And, you know, all this shit that goes on, right? But, but the thing about it is if you can, if you react to something, it's because it's an issue with you. It's not that it's an issue with the other person. Like if if I try to shame Ryan for his farting and tr- to try and get him to stop, it has the opposite effect. It makes him do it more. But And so the only way I can try and, you know, stop him from doing it is to not react. So I've had to go the other way now and I've had to work with what actually works with him. But then the question really lies with why do you need the other person to stop doing what they're doing in order for you to feel okay. And this is what I said to my friend whenever we were discussing her um, and her husband, right? And her and her husband looking through Instagram. I was like, why do you need him to not look at other girls in order for you to feel okay? And she was like, I don't. And I was like, no, you do. Understand you do. You You don't think you can feel okay if he's looking at other women on Instagram. Why? Why so? And she said, I really don't know. Like, I, I don't know why. And I said, but that is something that you have to dig deep with for yourself. You have to find that insecure part of yourself that needs the world to be different than it is for you to be okay. Because as long as you haven't healed that in yourself, that's going to come up again and again and again. And it's always going to be a trigger for you. Always going to be a trigger for you. You know, it's, and, you know, I heard a story recently about, um, it's funny, my friend rang me one day and she said, I know you'll find this funny, which is why I'm, I'm ringing to tell you. She said, my husband um, just started with a new PT, a new personal trainer in the gym. And I said, all right, okay, great. She said, he's just joined this new gym, just started with PT. She said, and she said, he came home and told me that the PT spent the entire session slagging you off. And I said, me? And she said, yes. And I said, and she so she told me his name and she said, do you know him? And I said, I've never heard of him in my life. She goes, well, apparently in the very start of the session, he he, he said to Graham, he said to her husband, have you, um, have you ever heard of the Sculpted Vegan? And he was like, uh, yeah. And he didn't let on, you know, I was his wife's best friend. And well, this guy apparently went on to literally slag me off and say I, how I was so up myself and oh, she's so up herself and she she doesn't know what the fuck she's, you know, she's at and she thinks she is somebody and she's like selling all these shred programs and she's damaging people's health and like all these totally unfounded claims, right? Now, and I laughed whenever she told me, I was I laughed my head off because you know why I laughed? Because you know what I know? 
from what I've just taught you, what I know for sure about this PT. And he was a male PT as well. I always seem to get attacked, attacked by the men. Actually, women don't seem to attack me. It's always men. But um, well, but women probably attack me too, but they probably do it a bit more covertly. But you know what I know for sure about, about that situation? My success or whatever it is that, that I have, I, I guess it's probably my success in the fitness industry, causes him pain. Okay. He looks at me. He sees my success. It's probably something that he wants for himself. Maybe he wants more money. Maybe he wants more notoriety. Maybe he wants, you know, more fame. Maybe he wants to be seen as an authority. Maybe he he's launched a program himself and it hasn't been successful. Whatever it is, me in some way, something I'm doing causes him pain. So do you know what he has to do in order to make himself feel better? Put me down. You know what would be the sensible thing to do <laughs> would be to go, oh, wow, interesting. Why does Kim Constable's success cause me pain? Rather than go, she's bad, she's wrong, I hate her. <laughs> like, you know, you look and you go, oh, wow, interesting. This causes me pain. What is it that I have inside me that causes me to, you know, that causes this, that makes this painful for me, right? That's what you need to look at. And then at the very end of the session, it was funny. My friend's husband said, um, oh, by the way, the sculpted vegan, she's my wife's best friend. <laughs> And I don't think he ever had another PT session. Maybe he did. I'm not sure. But I haven't heard that he's been back to him again. But I'm sure the guy was just like, oh, shit. You know, I can't even remember his name. Like, that's how insignificant it was to me. But, you know, it just made me think, like, you know, the only reason someone would punish someone else is when is when that person causes them pain. But, like, let's look for a second at what punishment is, right? I've talked about this quite a lot recently on Instagram and different things. But what is punishment? Punishment is inflicting emotional or physical pain on someone to correct or stop a behavior. Basically, it's like, I want to make you so uncomfortable that you stop doing the thing that is causing me pain. Punishment is the most out-of-cause action that you can ever do. What is at-cause? At-cause is recognizing that you are responsible for generating every single emotion that your body has. The more you take responsibility for everything that happens in your life, the less of a victim you are and the more of a um, an instrument of change you can be. If you can look at and recognize where you caused yourself to be in a situation or where you, it, where, how you caused every single situation in your life, even if you're in it, say you're in an abusive relationship, okay, and your husband beats you up. Well, how did you choose? How did, what data did you ignore about the guy that you married? Where did you see violent tendencies that you overlooked? How did you bring yourself to the situation where you married someone who was violent? Where? How did you choose that day to be in that room? I am not, by the way, I'm not promoting or in any way downplaying Vi uh, violence at home. Um, I'm using, or domestic violence, I'm I'm using very extreme examples because a lot of people can see how they can, oh yeah, well I see how, you know, I caused myself to do this or that or whatever, minor things. But sometimes it, we find it very, very hard to see how we chose um, to to be in or how we, how we caused ourselves to be in very, very negative situations. And, and I think that when you can see the chain of events that caused you to be in a situation that was either very positive or very negative, it means that you feel more powerful in your life. When you are an agent of change, when you are a purposeful person who can see responsibility, your responsibility 
everywhere and the choices that you made to bring you to where you are now, you are no longer a victim. And when you are a victim, you are at the mercy of others. You feel that you have no choices in the world. But very, very rarely are we actually a victim. We're very, very rarely actually a victim. It doesn't mean that bad things don't exist. It doesn't mean that it's wrong and unfair and and deeply, deeply disturbing that bad things happen to people. It is. All of those things are true. But when you can see how you cause yourself to be married to a guy who loves to look at other women, as all men do, by the way, then you can... And whenever you, you, not only that, but then you can recognize how you have something inside of you that is triggered by your husband looking at other women, then then you feel more powerful to, to change those things. Because like, think of how much, I saw this recently on Instagram, a quote, think of how much effort it takes to change yourself, right? How many times have you said, I want to go to the gym, I want to get thinner, I want to build more muscle, I want to stop eating shit, I want to stop yelling at my kids, I want to have a better relationship with my mother, whatever, okay? How many times have you said, I want to change, and how much effort is it to change that thing? It's a lot, right? Now, imagine, given how much effort it is to change you, how much effort it is to change someone else. And like, you know, it's so much easier to change yourself. It's so much easier to look at the behavior and how you cause yourself to feel this way, how you have something inside of you that is triggered by this thing in the outside world. And and recognizing that and being honest about it and being truthful about it is the first step to transformation, the first step to transformation. You know, it's like, and so whenever you punish someone, it's basically that I want to make you so uncomfortable that you stop doing the thing that is causing me pain. Punished people punish people, hurt people hurt people. The more hurt or punishment you felt as a child, the more you will hurt and punish others as an adult. The more punishment you were subjected to as a child, the more rules and control strategies you have as an adult, okay? And the more rules and control strategies you have, the more you will punish other people. Rules that are based on fear and not on ethics always cause you to punish other people, to punish them for not following your rule because you were punished as a child. Hurt people hurt people, right? And one of the things I also want you to consider whenever you are navigating the world with this new information is is how often as human beings we ignore data, okay? We ignore information that was always there because it suits our own bias, right? This happened to me whenever I was younger. I remember I was dating a guy um, and I really, really, really loved this guy. But more than anything, I kind of loved, um, I loved everything that he represented as well, right? And and I remember, um, I remember this was actually whenever I was, years ago, whenever I was working in France, whenever I was younger, and it was a French guy. And I, re- I remember that whenever we we got together, he was a real jack the lad, okay? And he was very wealthy and he had a very, very wealthy crowd of friends. And I really wanted this guy to be like, he, I knew that he really, like he he cared for me and like I would go, so, you know, it was a juvenile love, but you know, I would say he loved me. He told me he loved me. We were great together, but he also loved his friends and he loved to party and he loved to go out with them and he loved to, you know, um, and they had a lot of money and a lot of privilege. And so they were able to, you know, get around a lot and they would have, you know, gone out in Paris and then they would have, you know, gone to, um, 
uh, Cannes and to uh, Saint-Tropez and all those kinds of things, okay? So there was a lot of a lot of jack-the-lad behavior that went on, nightclubs and all that kind of stuff, right? So whenever I first got together with this guy, I knew that he and his friends slept with prostitutes because he told me because he wasn't ashamed of it. And it was just, it's something that the wealthy and the privileged, you know, quite often do all over the world. And so he told me, and obviously I'm not, I am not sexually repressed in any way. I'm extremely open-minded. So I, you know, I didn't care that he slept with prostitutes, but so I knew that he slept with prostitutes, right? And I remember that, um, but I just assumed that because he was now with me and we were in a committed relationship that he wouldn't be sleeping with prostitutes because we were together and we were in a committed relationship. And so I remember he went away on a trip with um, with a crowd of friends uh, for a weekend to Saint-Tropez. And he came back from that trip. And I remember saying to him, did you, you know, did you, did you sleep with any prostitutes? And he was like, no, not at all. Don't be daft. No, no, no. And he denied it. And he was like, no, absolutely not. He was like, of course, they were there at the party afterwards. And like, the, you know, and he was telling me. And then, you know, I, but I, there was kind of a part of me that didn't really believe him. And I remember, you know, for the next couple of probably months, I think I dug a little bit and dug a little bit and dug a little bit. And I was, you know, in my mind, I was thinking, really? And, but I did believe him. But then, but then as he began to, you know, as I kind of, you know, to ask questions and whatever, and he was telling me about stories about his friends and that kind of stuff and these different things that had gone on. Just, I remember it just twigged with me one day and I thought, there is no way that Matthew was, or Matthew, his name was, I was like, there's no way that he was in a crowd of, in this, in this party, right, after one of the clubs with a crowd of his mates who are all having fun with prostitutes, like high-class coal girls, right? Not even prostitutes, like high-class coal girls here we're talking about. They're all having fun with them. There is no way that he did not indulge. And so I remember I boned him about it once and I said to him, you know, I don't believe you and I need you to tell me the truth. And I said, it'll, I promise you can tell me the truth and I swear I won't be mad. And I'll never forget, he just looked at me for a long moment and then he said, okay, I did. And I was like, and I didn't know whether I was like, I felt better because I my my fears had been confirmed or I didn't know if I felt worse because my fears had been confirmed but I remember just being like oh you know like having this real oh my god like I didn't know I just didn't know how to feel about it and I remember I said well thank you for telling me and he was like you know and then of course when I would said I swear to god I won't mind you can tell me the truth whatever and then the next thing of course he was all remorseful he was like I'm really really sorry you know it didn't mean anything you know I love you and whatever and I was like yeah yeah I know you do and I was like but I had this real urge to punish him like I it felt, made me feel so bad I was like oh but I knew I couldn't punish him because I told him that I didn't mind and and I so this went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and I just couldn't that might in my mind it went back and forth and over the next couple of months I just couldn't reconcile the fact that he had done it. I was so cross with him. I was I was angry with him. And I didn't want to admit that I was angry with him because I prided myself on being the kind of person who is very sexually open and who doesn't, you know, mind stuff like this and whatever. And I had told him that I would not punish him for it. And yet here I was having the urge to punish him for it. So I remember I was talking to a friend of mine one day afterwards and I had shared it with her and she was an older, wiser friend. And I had said to her, you know, there's something that really, you know, has has bothered me, you know, ever since. We actually do you know what? We were on the verge of breaking up at this point. And because it had just really come between us, this thing, and I just couldn't let it go. No matter how much I wanted to, I just couldn't. I really loved him, but I just couldn't let this this thing go. And um, I remember saying to my friend, I just can't let it go. I just, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I just, you know, and I said, and he did this thing. And she said, really tell me about it. So I was telling her about what had happened and he lied to me and, and he, you know, and he, 
and he did it and he lied to me about it and then I found out that he, he had slept with this prostitute and and I'm like was so cross and and she said to me um and she said wow and I was expecting her to go oh that's terrible how dare he I expected her to like you know back me up and for me to you know for me to feel really justified in my anger and I remember she said to me oh she said well let me ask you a question she said before you you got you know together or before you guys were together did you know that he slept with prostitutes and I was like yep uh-huh I did and she was like okay, I see. And she said, well, then why were you surprised when he did it to you? And I was like, uh, well, because we were dating. She was like, I understand, but you had the data. You had the information. You knew that he and his friends think, you know, we're totally okay with it. It was something that they did. It's not even just going to say he and his friends find it acceptable, but that I'm not, that sounds like I'm judging it and I'm not. But she was like, you knew this was something that he did when he was with his friends. So I just don't understand why you're so shocked and angry that he just did the thing that you knew he did. And I had this incredible epiphany of, oh my God, it's not him it's me. I feel angry and up, upset and hurt. He never promised me that he never promised fidelity. We never sat down and wrote a contract. It was assumed. The fidelity was assumed, right? And But he never said, I promise that when we, uh, the whole time we are together, I will be entirely faithful to you. We weren't married, okay? He hadn't, and I understand in marriage that contract is made, okay? But but we weren't married. We were young. I, it was something that I knew that he did, but yet I was punishing him for something that had deeply hurt me rather than looking at why I was so hurt in the first place. Now, I know many of you are probably listening to this going, hang on, hang on, hang on a wee second, but it was really bad. He did sleep with prostitutes. This was awful. You should have punished him. Listen, I don't want to get into that here, okay? I know this has probably triggered many of your issues and I don't want it to. What I want you to really focus on is the fact that I had the data. I knew that he did this. I knew he did it many, many times and not even did it, but enjoyed it. It was part of the lad's weekends in Saint-Tropez. And here he was, he went away on a weekend in Saint-Tropez. And what did I expect him to be? Fucking Mother Teresa? No, not in a million bloody years. You know, you can't expect men not to be who they are. You can't expect women not to be who they are. You can't expect human beings not to be who they are. All you can expect or all you can decide is, do you want to be with the human being that you're with? Okay? You, you know, you can't punish or change someone. You can either work with what you've got or you can change the situation. I had this with an au pair years ago. We had an au pair, a, a few au pair come to stay with us to help with look after the kids. And she just wasn't pulling her weight. And she was, you know, and she was, you know, defiant and cross and angry. I was so bad at choosing au pairs. We had a couple of them. And I remember saying to my, my friend at the time, I was like, I just, she's like, I, she's just this and she's that, whatever. And she said to me, well, honey, can you change her? And I said, I've tried. I've tried to work with her. I've tried to help her to understand her behavior. And she was like, no, 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 you're, on, you're misunderstanding. Can you change her? Can you get another au pair? And I remember being like, oh, I never even thought of that. She was like, you're not stuck with her. She's not doing the work that you, that you hired her to do. Get rid of her. 
And I was like, oh my God, I can get rid of her. Like, I thought I was kind of stuck with it. Like, we'd, you know, we'd brought this girl over from, from Spain. We had committed to her. And I, but I, and I, after I had that conversation, I was like, holy shit, I can just change her. And if you're stuck in a situation that you don't like, you can change it. But trying to change the other person is absolutely and utterly pointless. It's futile. And not only that, it's disrespectful to the other person. Now, it's different if your husband and you have made a contract with each other and he's off running around sleeping with prostitutes. Now you have an issue, right? Now you have a problem. So you can either stay married to, to him knowing that this is a risk and it's going to happen, or you can get a divorce. But what you can't do is try to punish the behavior out of him because that never, ever, ever works. What happened when your, when your parents punished you as a child? Did, you, did it make you stop what you were doing? No, it just made you more sneaky. How many times were you punished for you know, drinking as a child? How many times were you punished for fighting with your sister or for being out late? Or I was punished for many things when I was a child. You know what it made me do? It made me be sneakier. It didn't make me stop what I was doing. It made me more conniving about getting my way and not getting caught. And as a result, I get up to a whole pile of bloody mischief when I was younger that I shouldn't be getting up to, but that's another story for another podcast. So, you know, whenever you punish your, this is what I said to my friend, just to bring it back to, you know, what we were talking about at the very beginning, that whenever you punish someone, whenever you punish your husband, right, for looking at girls on Instagram, you don't make him not do it. You just make him sneakier. You make him, he knows, okay, that's not something that I can do in front of her. So he'll do it in private or he'll, you know, set up a, an Instagram account in another name or he'll find another way to to look at women. He'll surf on Google or he'll, you know, or he'll buy magazines or something. You're not, you know, you, you don't make him stop the behavior. You just make him sneakier, right? So what the, and really a far better option is to look at why does this behavior bother me in the first place? What kind of hurt do I carry inside that makes me need other people to be different in order for me to feel okay? Men are attracted to women by sight, right? Women are attracted to men by smell. A man can have sex with the same woman. Only, so basically, I remember seeing this study once, right? A man can have sex with a woman, okay? And he can see her, feel very attracted to her, and want to want to shag her, right? Now, if you ask that man, as soon as he had recovered, to go again, he's like, oh, you know, it, it'll take him a while, unless it's a very, very, very new relationship, it'll take him a while to want to go again, okay? Because men are attracted to women by sight. But do you know that if you presented another attractive woman, a different attractive woman, and put it in front of that man 10, 15 minutes later and said to him, okay, go again, he, he would be ready to go again. A man could actually have sex, apparently, according to the study, with like six to eight women in a row, if they were different and highly attractive women. But a man could physically not have sex with the same woman six to eight times in a row. Do you know for women it's different? Women would find it extremely difficult to have sex with six different men in a row because they would feel violated and abused and taken advantage of and all these different things. But whenever a woman has sex with a man, she she deepens a connection with him. She a woman wants to attach to a mate. As soon as, you know, as soon as there's a, a sexual encounter that takes place, she wants to attach. And so women, the more women have sex with a man, the more attractive they find him. The more men have sex with a woman, the less attractive they find her. Now, of course, we, you know, we're we're not all animalistic. You can stay married to the same man. I've been married to the same man faithfully for 12 years. Him to me, as far as I know, faithfully for 12 years. And we have a very, very, very deep relationship and a great sex life. And so, but I, so I'm, I'm not saying that this is the be all and end all, but understanding the biology 
of men and the biology of women and what's in our DNA is extremely important if you want to be successful in the world. And understanding biology and understanding what makes us tick and understanding yourself more than anything is actually the key to success. Human beings are animals. Yes, we have evolved, but we haven't evolved past what is in our DNA. And the three things that stimulate the pleasure centers of the brain are learning, eating, and sex. Sex stimulates the pleasure centers of the brain, especially in men. So why fight it? I say, why fight it? Like, it's okay to look at the menu as long as you always dine at home. It's kind of like, you know, watching cooking shows. Like if you ever watch MasterChef, right? You watch MasterChef and you see them cooking all this gorgeous food and you're like, oh my God, and you start to salivate. Like imagine if your man was lying, you know, on the couch watching MasterChef and he's salivating. He's like, oh my God, that's so amazing. And then you call him for dinner, right? And he comes in and he sits down at the table and he devours your food and he compliments you on the taste and he tells you how amazing it is and how wonderful it is. You would feel really flattered, right? You wouldn't feel like upset that he had just been watching MasterChef. And, and how dare he look at another woman's food, right? He, you don't see him watching Nigella Lawson or Delia Smith or, you know, any of, the, any of the big cookery shows and feel, you know, you don't feel jealous of Delia Smith if your husband's watching a cookery show. You don't feel jealous of Jamie Oliver or Gordon Ramsay or any of those things because, you know, usually cooking doesn't, doesn't you know, trigger us the same way that sex does. But we're all fucked up about sex, right? We're all fucked up about sex. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's interesting that we are so fucked up about sex. But actually... If you think about it, actually, you know, it is, it is, it is normal that we are. And this is something somebody said to me recently, just before I finish. I think it's really, it was a really interesting point they made. They said, the I find the Americans especially, sorry if you're American listeners, but Americans are so fucked up about sex, right? They're so pure about sex, right? Oh, we're so pure, we're so pure, but yet you're all dirty fuckers, really, at the end of the day. But just, just you hide it really well. You hide it behind. It's all this like, you're welcome. Hello, you're welcome. Like this whole like nice. It's like in America, it's so important to be nice. See, in Ireland, we're just naturally nice. We're just like, if we want to say hi to you, we say hi and we shake your hand and we're nice to you and we say you're welcome and it's great and whatever. And see if we don't like you, we just won't be nice to you. We don't pretend to be nice. But I find in America, there's this like base level of niceness, especially in New York, that you have to constantly, you know, hey, how are you? Good evening. Yeah, you're welcome. Like this is base level of niceness, right? So I, I think that, but for me, and I'm not putting Americans down because I love Americans, but I find that in America, there's this base level of niceness that you have to attain to, which which actually causes a lot of um disingenuity is the word I suppose I'm looking for. Like it, it makes you not be genuine because you're taught that you have to maintain this base level of niceness all the time. So you don't really get, you know, you're not always genuine about how you're feeling. And of course, it's not just Americans, but I do work with a lot of Americans, but it's not just Americans. It's it's true all over the world. Okay. We all, as a culture, we have these cultural norms, right? But why are we so, why are we so weird about sex? Well, I think that, you know, just to hit home my final point, a lot of us are taught when we're kids that sex is that sex is dirty, right? Sex is bad, you know. And mommy, we're higher babies made. Oh, babies come in a stork. No, they fucking don't. Why would you tell your child such shit like babies come in a stork? Say the penis goes in the vagina, their sperm comes out, that that like, you know, that goes into an egg and that makes a human being. Sex is like the most wonderful, incredible thing because it creates a human being. Like, why do we make up all this shit to our kids like babies come in storks and oh mommy and daddy just lay down together and then mommy got pregnant? No, I'm sorry, that's bullshit. From the minute my kids asked, how babies made, I told them how babies were made. There's no weirdness about sex in our house. And in fact, whenever we were younger, right, this is how weird my kids are. We, my parents are, we used to discuss like blowjobs, right, at the dinner table. Not even kidding. <laughs> like my family were so 
open about sex, it wasn't even funny. Not blowjobs. I think penis size, actually. It wasn't blowjobs. I think we were discussing, although I have discussed blowjobs with my mom, I have to be honest, but we were discussing penis size, right? Um, penis size at the dinner table whenever I was in, I, whenever I was in my, my probably my mid to late teens, probably about 17, and my, my sisters were 18 and 19. Penis size at the dinner table. And my father was like, I just can't cope with this conversation. And my mom was like, long and thin goes too far in, it's short and, tri- short and thick that does the trick. <laughs> anyway, why are we weird about sex, right? Because we're taught when we're young, sex is bad, sex is dirty, sex is wrong, right? Sex, we're shamed for having sexual behaviors. We're shamed for touching ourselves or masturbating or for boys at looking at, you know, at, you know, porn mags or whatever, right? But here's the thing. We all came from sex. You, me, Karen down the road and Hillary on the treadmill, right? We all came from sex. We are all the result of an orgasm everybody in the world. So if sex is bad and dirty and wrong and and orgasms are a part of sex and they're also bad, how can we not in some way believe that we are bad? Have you ever thought about that one? If sex is bad and dirty and wrong, then we as human beings that are a product of that thing that is bad and dirty and wrong must also in some way in our belief structure, in our what we call our deep structure, we must believe that a part of us is bad. Or that we are bad, especially if you grew up in a very Catholic family right here in Ireland, like you're you're bad till you're proven good, you know? Um, and so I think that that's really important to think about, like, why are we weird about sex? Why can your husband not look at beautiful girls on Instagram and it not be an issue? You really need to look at and examine your own belief structure. You need to look at what causes you pain. What are you afraid of, right? What are you afraid of? Rather than punishing someone for who they are, when someone does something that causes you pain, try to dig deep and ask yourself, why? Why is this thing causing me pain? What am I trying to control or change? What am I afraid of? This is called being at cause. Recognizing that that something someone is doing or saying is causing you to feel vested. It's causing you to feel argumentative. When you get into a right-wrong with someone, you're vested, okay? When you feel the need to defend, you're vested. When you feel the need to punish someone for something they're doing, you're vested. Stop that shit, okay? Catch yourself in the middle of doing and then ask yourself, why is this causing me to feel angry, upset, or afraid? And what am I trying to control or change? Be at cause in the world, okay? Why should you be at cause in the world? Because the more at cause you are, the less of a victim you will feel and the more of a producer you can be in your life. You can build a body. You can build a business. You can build a better relationship with your husband, with your kids, with your mother, with your family, with anyone. Nothing that you are unhappy with at the minute is out of your control. If something is causing you to feel unhappy, you need to ask yourself why you are unhappy and what you are trying to control or change with your unhappiness. When you try to control someone else's behavior or you make your emotional reaction the most important thing, you cause damage in the relationship. Damage. What you're basically saying is who you are is not okay. I need you to be different because it upsets me when you do that thing. So I need you to be different so I can stop feeling upset. But what you're basically saying is, it's not okay for you to be who you are. And you really need to look at that if that is you. We all do it. I do it. 
you do it. Karen down the road does it. I hate to use the word Karen, but it's quite funny. There's always memes on Instagram, but oh yes, Karen. So I feel sorry for all the Karens in the world. Apology if your name is actually Karen. But you need to own your pain, okay? You need to own your pain that it's your pain, it's not theirs. You need to ask yourself why the outside world needs to change in order for you to feel okay. The more you practice this deep internal work, the more successful you will become. I promise. Try it. Write to me. Let me know how you get on. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I know it got really, really long, but I hope you enjoyed it. This is the kind of deep, deep work that I do every single day of my life. This is the reason why I'm successful. It's the reason why I've built a multi-million dollar fitness company. It's the reason why I'm a professional athlete. It's the reason why I have the best relationship that I know of with my husband and with my kids. It's why I'm fearless in the world. And I want you to have more of what you want as well in the world. I have everything that I want and everything I don't want or everything I don't have, I feel like I can I can work towards. And I want this for you as well. And that's why I love teaching this. So if you did enjoy this episode and you did enjoy um, what I taught, even if you don't want to win a Sculpted Vegan program, please leave me a review and let me know what you thought, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay, I want to know it all because it helps me to develop more episodes, helps me to, you know, really hone in on the content that you guys want to hear. And it and it, it helps me to get to know you better. And, and I love reading the comments. I go through all my platforms and I read every single comment on a weekly basis. So don't think that I don't see the comment if you don't send it to me on Instagram. I 100% do and I appreciate every single one of you. But don't forget, if you do leave a comment, you send me a screenshot on Instagram, you could win one of our Sculpted Vegan programs. Guys, thank you so much for listening. This was so much fun. I loved recording this episode and I will catch you for another episode of Strong and Sculpted next week. Have a wonderful week wherever you are. Bye for now.